Greetings, programs, and welcome back to the Awesome Friday Podcast, the podcast where we talk about two new things every week. Uh, this week, we will be looking at uh, a new movie and a new show. Well, a slightly new movie and a new show. We're going to be talking about uh, Anyone But You, starring Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell, uh, which is now released on streaming. And then we're going to be talking about the new live-action adaptation of Avatar, The Last Airbender, on Netflix. Uh, I am your host, Matthew, and with me is Simon. And how are you today, Simon? Hola! I'm fine, thank you. Uh, I had Mexican food yesterday, so I'm feeling pretty fruity. Um, I'm I'm okay. I've had a great week, and uh, we hung out. If you if you want to pay two dollars, you can listen to our Patreon uh, bonus episode this week, where we talk about our mandate that we had yesterday. Mm-hmm. And before I met him, I had uh, Mexican food and then ice cream, so it was pretty great. And then we watched a great film. So if you'd like to know more, it's only two dollars. What's two dollars in this day and age? Uh, for a whole month, that's four bonus round episodes of us talking shit. Not to mention listening to the, all of the... If you pay the two bucks for one month, you can listen to all of the old episodes, too. Oh, there um, And there's tons of them, so you could listen to one a day. And you'd be like us, hanging out with us. It's pretty much exactly <laughs> what it's like to hang out with us. Yeah, it is. If you join our Patreon and pay as little as $2 Canadian per month. And that's probably the best plug oh. we've had for that in the history of this show. So <laughs> it really is. Uh, I'm fine, but I'm. Uh, uh, you're welcome. I'm good. I'm um, happy to talk about these two things today, and uh, it's just a lot of good stuff at the moment, and not enough time to watch it all. And we obviously can't talk about everything, but uh, this I've I've really because it was my birthday this week. So one of the things we're watching this week, I I took a day off from work, and, and my wife did the same, and then we we watched this film in a, in a theatre with us and one woman sat, like, basically in the row behind us. And uh, I think it can really enhance the movie when you're in that kind of situation, when you're, you've basically got the whole theatre to yourself apart from one person who's laughing as much as you. And uh, I, I'm, I'm very happy to talk about the film because I loved it. I, uh, my, my position on this has always been that the two best ways to watch a film in a cinema are that it be completely full or completely empty. And almost anything, almost anything in between is insufferable. Because uh, mm-hmm. it, it allows people to like, if you're just alone, there's no one else. And if you're, if it's full, people are pretty generally, you can get like a pretty good crowd vibe. Uh, especially for big, like bombastic action-y type stuff. Um, but oftentimes it's, it's at its worst for like talking in phones and such when it's only like half full and people are sitting just far enough away from other people to sort of think they can get away with talking. Yeah. So, or, like, or someone, as they did in the title screen of the movie we saw yesterday, a full on flash photography photograph of the title yeah, screen. Yeah, like what the hell? Was, <laughs> I mean, at least it was the only one. I'll give it that. But yeah. like, yeah, it was like, why? Like, first off, you don't, I don't know, you don't need a flash to take a photo <laughs> of a movie screen. <laughs> It's not going to help anything. But also, why would you do that? I don't get I don't get why you would do that. I just don't... I don't... Uh, like, when you go to the theater, you don't talk because it's disrespectful to the people on stage. But it's also about the people next to you in the, in the audience. And yes. I feel like we forget that as a society at the movies. I agree. But that's a different... That's a whole different conversation. Yes. Yeah. But how, how... Enough about me. How about you? What, what have you been doing this week that we aren't going to be talking about? What little things have you been checking out? Are you still working through Cheers? I'm still working through Cheers. I'm in season four. It is still very funny. I'm very much enjoying it. How many seasons um, are there? Eleven. Oh. <clears throat> Ran from That's... 1982, 83 to 93, 94. That's dedication. Um, I'm at a point where Frasier is a recurring but not regular character yet. He becomes regular, I think, in season five. Mm-hmm. Um. And in season four, he is reeling from his breakup with Diane. Uh, <laughs> and I got to say, like, you know how, like, there's a shorthand phrase in our society about that whole Sam and Diane thing. And, like, when you rewatch Cheers, like, you get immediately why that became a phrase. Like, they are, uh, Shelley Long and Ted Danson are so good together. Whether they are, whether their characters are together or not in the show, and they are off again, on again. Um they are so good together that it's, it would have been more shocking to watch the show and it to realize it did not become a thing. It's there. It's such a good show. I can't even, 
can't can't go into it without taking up this whole podcast about how well conceived and executed that show is in a way that like lots of shows just aren't today. Mm. Um, but we also started watching that new, well, it's not new, but a show that's new to us on Amazon prime called the tourists with Jamie Dornan. Oh, um, that's good. It's okay. Yeah. It's interesting. Jamie Dornan is an underrated actor. I feel. Yeah. He's, um, he's good. He's very good. Um, and he's playing a man who like, wakes up in a hospital in the Australian outback with amnesia and is trying to piece together how he got there. Um, And it's quite good. It's very Australian. (laughs) Uh, In a good way. Uh, What else did we watch this week? My wife and I have been debating when we're going to watch The Zone of Interest again, because that is now available on demand. Is that something you want to watch again? I know you like watching everything again, but it's like choosing to watch Schindler's List again, surely. I mean, there's value in that, though. Like Schindler's, I, um, Schindler's List is that... is a film that you can definitely rewatch. It's not it's like so say gut wrenching, though. Yeah, but that's that's not a bad thing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know there's a if a film can gener- generate uh, an authentic emotional catharsis within you, then it's definitely worth re-experiencing that. I would. Mm-hmm. It's movies that are boring that are not worth rewatching, not movies that mm-hmm. are affecting. Whether the effect is, quote, positive or negative, to distill it down way too far. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it, though. I've basically just been working. Oh. Uh, and, uh, oh, I, I should tell you, I, I, <laughs> I don't know if I talked about this last week, but I definitely finished Spider-Man 2 in under two weeks, 100%. Uh, the video game on PlayStation 5. And uh, I loved every second of it, and I can't wait for some DLC action for it because <laughs> that's some good one. The, those are like they are. So, it's such a good game, it's such a well conceived game. And I'm saying this with the acknowledgement that the main bad guy of the game is Venom, and I think Venom is the most boring Spider-Man bad guy there is. So, oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I always love. I love Venom as a kid, but it's. It's definitely the the anti-hero Venom side is a bit overused for me as well. Like I I I enjoy Venom when he is like Dark Desire Venom, like everything you want Venom, all the power you ever need Venom, and that kind of uh, hypnotic, drug addicted Venom experience uh, I like rather than. Oh, I do enjoy the Tom Hardy movies, but Venom's definitely become something else now, hasn't he, as a character? I just like. Well, I don't know. I just I just find him a little overplayed and a kind of one note. Even whether he's being a good guy or a bad guy, I find it to be kind of one note, and I don't I, care for him. I, I'm kind of there with Deadpool as well. That's kind of how I feel. And the Joker. I don't ever want to see another Joker cosplay in my life. I mean, I think the part of the problem problem with the Spider-Man games is that they chose the single best Spider-Man villain for the first game. So. It's yeah, kinda, how do you gonna be uh, how do you how do you top Doc Ock? And the answer is that you don't. Even although <laughs> this game clearly sets up Green Goblin as the bad guy for the third game, which I think is a good choice. He's you know the, you know the the actual number one bad guy. He's just not my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. But the way the way it's set up is good, and mm-hmm. uh, I look forward to whenever they release Spider Man Three. Hopefully soon. Well, you can have the you can watch the Craven movie while you wait. That would get you through. That's uh, right? It's out in the summer, I think, in August. Yeah, yeah that's something to look forward to. I mean, maybe it'll be good. I doubt it. <laughs> Spider Man's wow. Spider Man's or so- Sony's history of Spider Man Spider Man list spin off films mm-hmm. has so far peaked with Venom Two that has I think is sitting at about. 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's like 20% higher than all of the rest of them. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't... I do love Aaron Taylor-Johnson. I uh-huh. have no expectation. Like, at least it has people in it that I like, right? Uh-huh. Like, Madam Web has people I like, but it just looked like a mess from the start. Um, uh-huh. Whereas, like, you know, Morbius just look I like I can't get past the Jared Leto of it all even if I no. want to yeah. so anyway maybe it'll be good I don't think it will but maybe it'll be good 
know. That may be doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. I have no expectations whatsoever that it's going to be good. I mean, I prefer to choose optimism. I'm just struggling to do that in this particular instance. So, Craven is so fucking boring. And it's going to be a Craven origin movie where they paint him as some kind of pained childhood trauma hunter. And I. Well, it's interesting you say that because the Craven is the bad guy of the first half of Spider-Man 2, and he's actually really good. Uh, I like think he's video. at his best. Yeah, I think he's at his best when he's just like a really good hunter who's like built, who just wants to hunt. I don't need his backstory. I don't need a movie on this one guy who just wants to hunt difficult things. You know what I mean? I don't need to see the action buildup of how he became Craven. Like mm-hmm. before Craven. Uh, which is all that movie's going to be based on the trailer, so I, um, I'm i not interested whatsoever. I mean, it's just going to continue Sony's ongoing effort to create a shared universe of people, yeah. of Spider-Man related villains with animal-based powers but with no Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't, in even though there's no Spider-Man, everyone looks like they're inspired by Spider-Man's costume choices. Yes. So. It reminds yeah. me of the... Um... The Austin Powers 3, which I've talked about before, where they see the big monster. Look, it's Godzilla. Ah, it just looks like Godzilla. But for copyright reasons, it is not Godzilla. And that Madam <laughs> went, went Baddy is like the guy who's bitten by a spider and dresses up in a, in a black Spider-Man suit. Definitely isn't Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. He just has all the powers, but he's not Spider-Man whatsoever. It's just rubbish. Yeah, it's definitely... I don't get what Sony's trying to do with that franchise. Desperately hold they, on to the rights, I think. No, because I think if that were true, they wouldn't have to make so many of them. Like, God. if they were just trying to hold on to the rights, they would only have to make one every few years, but they they keep pumping them out. I don't get it. <laughs> oh, well. I'm anyway. Sure maybe they got long tails on, like, rentals and video at home. And, but those aren't things things. <laughs> <laughs> those, those, those aren't things anymore. Those aren't... This is why you see celebrities getting paid millions of dollars to hawk, you know, Oscar winners, Matt Damon and uh, Ben Affleck hawking Dunkin' Donuts, getting paid millions of dollars to do so. And that is pretty much entirely because you can't make money on the back end anymore. You can't make money from DVD sales. That's also pretty great, to be fair. I had no idea. Is is that Matt? Is Matt? uh, Matt, Ben Affleck's uh, natural accent like heavy Boston or was he putting that on? Because it was great. No, I that's I know how he talks. They're both from there, so I think that's just how they talk. I, st- I still get very weirded out listening to Chris Evans like talk in his normal accent and how like absolute 100% Boston he is, and not just his speech patterns, but his like vocabulary as well. He's yeah, same with, uh, same with John Krasinski. Right, yeah. I don't know if you ever saw that Super Bowl commercial they did about the car with Swiss Smart Pack. Smart Pack. You can't pack there. Yeah. The guy's got Smart Pack. Yeah. Anyway. Well, instead of reviewing the Boston accent, which I would love to do, because you do a very good uh, Boston accent. I wouldn't go so far as to say that's good. (laughs) I was in a car for hours with you and Rob doing Boston accents, and let me tell you, maybe it's just Stockholm Syndrome, but I enjoyed it. I mean, it's definitely... Um, It's it's only good if you consider I'm trying to get a laugh, not that I'm trying to actually (laughs) reproduce (laughs) the accent. Okay, what are we talking about this week? What should we start with? Oh, yeah. Let's just... It's a good good pivot to the main meat of the show. Um, Right, so we're going to talk about two things. The first thing we're going to talk about is technically a 2023 film. The last one will probably... Well, actually, probably not. Um, But one of the last ones we're going to do this year on the podcast, it's now available to purchase on demand, uh, and that is the uh, Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney starring Anyone But You. And Simon, uh, as you are our resident British person and thus expert on the bard <laughs> Billy, the bard <laughs> Billy Shakes. Why don't you please take us through this loose adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing, which is what this movie is? Yeah, except it's way less loose than it, it kind of implies in the marketing. Uh, so Sydney Sweeney plays B, who uh, at the beginning of the movie it just starts with the meet cute, and she goes into a coffee shop really needing a pee, and they they won't let her in because she didn't buy anything. So the unbelievably handsome and charming Glenn Powell plays a character called Ben, who then uh, pretends that she's his wife and and so buys something for her so she can have the key. It, and it's 
it's hard not to be in on this movie from that point because it is so kind of charming. You know exactly what kind of movie this is going to be in. And if you're anything like me, uh, a real love of the late 90s, early 2000s rom-com, then um, this is this is that. As you said yesterday, if this came out in, in the late 90s, they'd be like straight to superstar level after this movie because it is a enemies to friends, much ado about nothing, um, a girl and a boy who have a, a, a night of mis, uh, miscommunication uh, that goes well but ends badly and then that sets them up for basically hating each other because they think the other one was nasty to them and, and obviously it builds and it builds and it builds and then through a hilarious set of circumstances they find themselves in a situation where uh, one of them is their friend getting married and to the other one's sister and they're so sick of everyone trying to get them together they pretend to be together so it can then be a ploy to make the people they want to get with actually fall in love with them. It's much of a ado about nothing. And the movie actually has uh, a number of quotes from uh, Shakespeare as titles of things, which I think is brilliantly done. And also some people actually use lines from Shakespeare and it's brilliantly handled as well. And uh, what's not to like? It's an hour and 40 minutes of two beautiful people hating each other and then having uh, then uh, having hot times together and then hating each other again and then getting back together. And it ends with a singing montage. I mean, yeah, I, I loved this movie. And every day since I've seen this movie, I love it a little bit more. It really gets in there. And everyone's having a great time. If anything... Uh, I think Sydney Sweeney, her, she's got one very kind of goofy physical scene in this film. And I really, really wish the director and writer had leaned into her goofiness a bit more because she she pulls a couple of faces in this that are downright hilarious. She's definitely got a goofiness that is underused. And it, it's interesting to me, actually, that I, I didn't know this when I saw it, but it's the same director as Easy A. And I think that a lot of this film would benefit from a bit of that um, Emma Stone like goofiness that she does so well in the Easy A. Sydney Sweeney is absolutely capable of that too, and I think they should have tapped into that a bit more because she is a little bit also cute sometimes. But it doesn't matter because they're both so charming. It's uh, it, it's so uh, it's so good at getting laughs. Like it, they really play for the audience, and uh, it's just a real pleasure. Everyone looks gorgeous. Uh, the, the jokes are funny there's lots of nudity well partial nudity but also most of it is done for laughs and uh, Glenn Powell's a superstar I've never seen well I've seen him in Top Gun Maverick but he does this he, he does that fantastic sort of Harrison Ford Han Solo thing of being unbelievably hunky and charming but still have like vulnerabilities when he gets hurt or things that he's scared of or doesn't want to do and uh, it plays like gangbusters. I love this film. And uh, it's, it's, it looks really good. It's shot really well. It's edited really well, which I think is a, a huge part of making a comedy work. And between this and, and Bottoms as well, I am just so happy to see like great comedies come back, even if they're not brilliant films. Like This is the other end of the spectrum from, from a technical masterpiece like Oppenheimer. This is purely a pleasure film and everyone's on board and it, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I did. I also, I don't, <clears throat> everything you just said, uh, did it. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a great film. It's, it's so much fun. I think you can, it's hard to go wrong adapting Shakespeare, uh, as long as you do it in the right spirits and much ado is a fairly silly comedy play. This is a fairly similar, silly comedy movie starring two beautiful people. Uh, surrounded by a cast of also beautiful people mm. um it's definitely some like it has that rom-com thing where everybody's clearly rich um which <laughs> <laughs> uh so like that can be a thing for some people but like as long as you're on board with what's going on it doesn't really matter like so they get to fly to australia oh he strips down naked because there's a huntsman spider like there's there's a lot of ridiculousness in this movie and mm. it's but it's so like bought into its own world that it doesn't like who who would clearly who would strip naked in that scene where there's a huntsman spider like no one in real life would um 
but it never feels out of place because the, the world it's in is so well conceived. Mm-hmm. And I, I do agree with you that Sydney Sweeney, it could have leaned into her being a little more uh, goofy. I, but I enjoy that she is, generally speaking, the goofy one in the relationship from the get go. And uh, I think that uh, it's it's hard to talk about without spoiling the ending. But the way that the story resolves uh, really, really, really worked for me with, <laughs> with Glenn Powell like indulging in the in the ridiculousness of the moment, um, mm-hmm. uh, in which he effectively jumps off a cliff. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's just such an easy film to love. Like, there's no, there's no like pretension that it is trying to be important or that it is trying to be anything other than a fun hundred minutes at the cinema. And I love it for that. And it's very, very funny. This is the kind of movie where ahead of watching it, my I was talking with my wife and she she said something along the lines of like, I've seen them both in a lot of things. I've thought they were good in those things, but I don't really know that I'm on board with either of them. And then like four minutes into the film, she's like, I hate that I love them so much already. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> uh, and then because that's there, they are immediately charming. They are, in, and they have such immediate and and like, for lack of a better word, they have immediate like very thick chemistry. Like they are so mm-hmm. perfect for one another. And I think that's true if you watch any of their press tour stuff. Like they are both in relationships, and but they have such great chemistry together that it's hard to imagine them not sleeping together. Yeah. Um, and and the marketing's already leaned into maybe they fucked in real life. Yeah, it's and they're both marketing. and they're both beautiful people. Like they are the hottest, the two hottest people on the planet right now, as mm-hmm. far as I can tell. And uh, you just want to see them to get together, and that's what happens because it's a Shakespeare comedy, not a Shakespeare tragedy, and it's wonderful. And then you're also yeah. you're surrounded by like Alexander Ship is in this, and oh my Robinson God. is in this. And like the parent figures are played by Michelle Hurd and Brian Brown. Brian Brown, fantastic. Dermot, Dermot Mulroney and Rachel Griffiths. Like all of these people are so good and know exactly mm-hmm. the right tone to strike for the material that they're in. Mm-hmm. And then it works in the Shakespeare again. In, I think you said in brilliant ways where they'll just be walking past a sign and there'll be a line of Shakespeare on that sign. Or my personal favorite running gag is that someone will say, a line from Shakespeare and Brian Brown will be like, Hey, that's pretty good. And some of the other person will say, yeah, I just made it up. (laughs) (laughs) This happens like three or four times in the movie. It's so good. And it so clearly knows what it's trying to do. And I, I have a hard time not believing, I have a hard time believing this didn't send these two to superstardom. Like it's weird to me. Mm. It's that it's not that kind of film, but it did like, it made a ton of money in the, in the cinemas. Um, some people will chalk that up to lack of competition around Christmas, but like it made 190 million against 25 million dollar budget, so that's awesome. People liked it, and then, like I you know. say, it ends. It ends with there's a running a running theme of the Natasha Bedingfield song thing, which suddenly escapes me. Um, and oh, at the right. end, it, it ends with like a montage of all the people singing it that they've clearly put together from all of them singing it in different scenes they've shot throughout production. And I and that, love that. <laughs> well, I got a question for you because we went to the 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 Valentine uh, what's the word re-release of this movie encore the Valentine encore of this movie where they they introduced the movie looking beautiful and then they said stay after the credits for an extra treat and so there's that unwritten montage and then you get all the credits and then as a bonus there's another unwritten montage with extra outtakes from the movie that is glorious i wonder if you got that too um i didn't stay through the credits but we so i've said this before on the show when a film becomes available to rent or to buy we often make a choice between renting or like a gamble between renting or buying um and this time we didn't have to because it's currently only available to buy so i bought it so i can just go back and watch that after and i can report back later yes but it's uh, it, it's. Wonderful. I'm sure it's in like the special features. Either way. Yeah, it'll um, be around. It's probably on YouTube as well. But it's just great. It's like they know exactly what they're doing, and um, the fact that none of them can sing properly kind of makes it funnier. <laughs> like it's. I mean, not, none of them are none of them are trying as well. It's not like anyone's. I mean, to be fair, we know Alexander Ship can sing, um, but they're not trying yes. to like. Yes, no, she can hold it. That's true. 
you know, none of these people are trying to do anything but have a good time singing the yeah. song. Like it's the, one, it's the one best of the karaoke. One of the yeah, it's not a song; it's a karaoke jam. And like one of the best things in the montage is Glenn Powell and this other guy whose name I can't remember singing <laughs> in an outdoor shower, buck naked together. So like, do oh, do with that information. Uh, and let me and let me tell you, ladies, straight ladies, if you like uh, the male genitalia, let me tell you, you're in for a nice like single frame of shocking. <laughs> At one point, my wife leaned over and said, "I don't think I've ever seen a man's." penis hole in a film before like <laughs> blink and you miss it but it's there and uh it's that kind of movie it's it's a movie made for an audience if that makes sense that in in the same way that um my best friend's wedding which is one of my favorite rom-coms is a movie made for the audience and with a very similar theme as well people people turn up at, at someone else's wedding and decide to make it all about them um mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it's isn't that it's, the one that has the great um, say a little prayer, singing along scene. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. It's also got the great line where you, where the guy oh, I forget the guy, but Julia Roberts is. They used to be lovers and they're not anymore. And she's like trying to. She's partially dressed, getting her underwear on, gets a towel around, and he just says, "Come on, I've seen you a lot more naked than that." And I just think it's just <laughs> one of the best. One of the and this movie has lines like that as well. It's uh, uh I really, really, really liked just selfishly that he has flying anxiety and he has his bubble and his rhythm and his, he has his process to get through it, which she inadvertently learns through probably one of the best scenes in the movie. She finds out that it's this one specific song. So she sings it to him. And I, Mm -hmm. I, as someone who gets a lot of anxiety from flying, who has a very set rhythm to get through it. I really, really enjoyed the portrayal of that because it just felt very, very real. And just, just, uh, very heartfelt also, as well. I also love that it, he refers to it as his serenity song. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's not exactly a serene song. It's not beat no. up anthem. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's, and I love that it's, whenever it comes on, he just is like, how do you know my serenity song? Shut the fuck up. I love this film. Oh my God. I, I can't wait to watch it again. It was great. Yeah. So, it's such a pleasure. Can, yeah. So how many how many stars for this yeah. for you? Do you know what on where I'm I came gonna, out? I'm gonna, I'm, I came. I'm gonna interrupt you there and just say wait, for wait, the wait, record, wait. I'm giving it four. It's a four star movie because it's so great fun. I came and out I, of this movie thinking, oh, I really hope this is the. Um, I I really hope this is the comeback of solid like three star six out of ten rom coms. And then I've thought about this movie over and over and over. Like, it's almost like the further away I get from it, the more I love it. And so I know the next time I watch it, which is going to be soon, this is going to be a solid four star. So I'm just going to cut to the chase and say four stars for me. Yeah, fair enough. You know why that is? It's because it's a four star movie. <laughs> I mean, evidently, clearly it is. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. So it is written. This is the way. Um... Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so on. Good. Um... Uh, well... Anyone But You is now available on demand wherever you demand films to be on demand from. So go and do that. I bought it on iTunes. Came with special features. Uh, it's worth your money. This is not a paid placement. I'm just saying you should watch this movie. Um, yeah. So let's move on to our next thing, which is uh, probably going to garner a little more discussion, <laughs> I'm going to guess. Uh, so way back in 2005... A series premiered on Nickelodeon called Avatar The Last Airbender. And this show ran for three series and critical acclaim. It is still to this day sitting at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty incredible considering that's nearly 20 years. Um, It is the story of a boy called Aang. He exists in a world where there are four main nations and each of the people in those nations can... uh, Effectively, they ha- they do martial arts that is telekinesis. They can bend a certain one of the classical elements to their to their whim and fight and construct and do things with it. And Aang is an airbender. Um, he is also uh, a uh, a figure in this world called the Avatar, and he is the only person who can bend all four of the classical elements. And thus, he's tasked with bringing harmony to the world. Um, but 
At the beginning of the series, he wakes up from having been frozen in a block of ice for a hundred years. And in that hundred years, the Fire Nation has uh, attacked the world and made inroads and conquests and basically become the villains of the series to come. And he now has to restore balance to the world. I cannot express to you how much I love this show. This is a kid's show that I watched in 2005 when I was 24 and I am now 42 and I still love it just as much. It is an all-time classic, not just animated series, but it is an all-time classic show. It has a spin-off series called The Legend of Korra that details the life of the next Avatar, which is also excellent. It's a wonderfully conceived world. Uh, the characters are all uh, incredibly written with incredible depth and given lots of time to grow and mature and turn into uh, the amazing heroes that need to be by the third season finale. Um, and uh, so naturally, in 2010, someone tried to adapt it. M. Night Shyamalan tried to adapt it into a movie, which was terrible. And uh, now Netflix has dumped a ton of money into adapting it into a live-action television series. And we are going to talk about it. Um, eh. So, I'm going to start off by saying I think it's probably unfair. It's always difficult, and I think a little unfair, to compare a new adaptation of a thing to a prior, to an original source material. Um, because I think it sort of can color your reactions, right? You're always questioning whether that was the right adaptational choice or whether that shot-for-shot -shot remake of a scene was good or better or worse or whatever. Um, so I'm just going to come out and say it that judged on its own merits, this show is not very good and it's so heartbreaking. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of comparison to the original to be made and I'm sure we'll get there. But just standing on its own, it is... Um, it's very rushed. There's only eight episodes. There's the the middle episodes in particular, the second act episodes. So that's basically like episodes four, three, four, and five, and six. Uh, but in particular, I think it's uh, it's been about a week since I watched it. But it's probably four, five, and six in particular have just so much stuff crammed into them and. None of it is given the amount of time it needs to like breathe and allow the characters to react and adjust and grow from their experiences in meaningful ways. Um, the acting is super uneven. Um, not just in that there are some, and I'm not going to name any names here because most of these people are kids. Some of them are great. Some of them are not. But more to the point, some of them are existing in a serious adult drama and some of them are existing in a live action cartoon and there's no consistency between the rhyme or reason why. I think a really great example of this is, uh, so the main, one of the main antagonists of this, this story is this crown prince of the fire nation, Prince Zuko. He's played by a an actor called Dallas Liu and his uncle Iroh played by Paul, uh, Hyung Sun Lee, who is a very famous and very well-regarded Canadian actor. And I actually think they're both pretty good in this show. Um, but they are, and they are, they're each other's most frequent scene partners. And it is like they are acting in different shows. Like, neither one is bad. But one of them is existing in this, like, like, uh, revenge, or this, like, search for redemption gritty drama and the other one is it's existing in a cartoon and it doesn't work <laughs> um and that's true throughout uh i wrote a review of this show for exclaim this week so you can go read that if you like but my thesis remains to this point having thought about it a lot more since that point is that the show is trying to serve two different aims one of which is to make a faithful adaptation of the original show and the other one is to sort of age it up in theme and tone for a new, different, and perhaps more adult audience. And in trying to do both of those things at the same time, it has failed to do either effectively. And I just found it really heartbreakingly bad. 
I will say the back half is better than the first half. Like the the last three episodes or so are much better than the first five. Um, and you can definitely tell they saved a bunch of money at the start for the big finale at the end. Um, but there's only there's only so much that'll get you when you are, you know, just to go back and say that like I don't think it's necessarily fair to compare it to the original. But when the show is relying on you to remember the original at certain points to understand why things that are happening are important. I think that's a problem, right? Like there's, there's moments in the show that don't make sense if you don't have the context of the original. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's also a number of times in the show where a new episode will start and someone will talk about an adventure they've just had off camera in the original, but not shown in this one. So it has no weight. And there's a, a really good example of this, I think, is in the last two episodes, there's a, a really key and important character moment for one of the young actors. And I think that they handle it really actually super well. It's a really well-executed um, fight scene. and But it has it doesn't make any sense because to that point in the show, they haven't really shown that character learning how to do that. She just mm-hmm. sort of knows how to do it at the end. Yeah. It's implied, don't be wrong. We are told that it is happening in the background. Yeah. We're never shown. We're very like very rarely shown. There's maybe one scene of them training. <clears throat> um, but as a result, it, it kind of feels empty. Like it feels hollow because like she can just do that now. And absolutely. So much is unearned because they, they keep doing that thing or they begin a couple of episodes with oh, I can't believe we just had that amazing experience off screen. And and all of the the things about the original is how much they all grow into the people they become. And each of those little adventures adds something really significant to them. And it's so weird for something that, for a series that is so crushed together, that it's so, they've, they've even taken some elements from season two and pushed it into season one. There's also been lots they've left out, which was quite important to the characters that they become and, and the way that they learn to do things. And so it just feels feels unearned. Like it just magic. We have to take it. Oh, okay. They they did this, so they are now magically they leveled up off screen. This mm-hmm. is weird. And like, so just to go back to actually comparing it to the original, I think I think I was talking about this with you earlier this week, and I don't know that I'm fully articulating what I'm trying to say very well here. But there's a real it this adaptation and other adaptations of other things that I've seen especially in TV series these days seems to be incredibly focused on plot, which I know sounds a bit weird to say out loud, but what I'm trying to say is that like this film goes to extraordinary lengths to make sure that like these like key moments from the original material happen. But in doing so, it forgets to include the actually important things from the original, which is these characters hanging out and learning. It leaves out the moments of these kids being kids and like perhaps not just learning like the new skill they need to beat the boss at the end, but learning that they need to grow up a little bit and learning that they need to uh, perhaps take on more responsibility and discuss whether they're even able to take on that responsibility. Mm. Um, There's like all of the show, which has Again, an amazing plot. The original show has an amazing plot. But the most important thing about the show is the time spent with the characters. And we get basically none of that in this remake. And it's just mm-hmm. it's just heartbreaking. Because mm-hmm. the best... I mean, if you do a, a, like a YouTube search, you're going to find, for best moments, you're going to find fight scenes. But the best scenes in the film are, off, are usually character moments. And the fight scenes that are the best are the ones where that are developed straight out of character moments. And uh, it's, I'm just going to keep saying heartbreaking. I'm so frustrated with this show. I I remember Avatar is one of the things I first knew about you and and the kind of things that this has been something you've loved deeply for a long, long time. And uh, I I don't have the knowledge of it. I've seen it all and Cora as well and enjoyed it very, very much. My kids love it, but I don't have the, the deep knowledge of it like you do. So it's tricky I, to separate it off. I mean, it is, but at the same time, I don't think, I don't think it would, 
I think if I had never seen the original, I'm, it's possible I might be a little more positive about it. But these problems I'm talking about wouldn't not magically not exist. Yeah, like, yeah. Like by the time you get that big duel in episode seven or whatever it is, mm-hmm. like it, like that character still wouldn't have earned the skill level she's displaying in that moment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's pretty just indicative of the whole thing. Um, and it's, you know, for a show that's trying to cram so much into just these eight episodes, and honestly, it's not even, when you think about it, like the original series is like 22 episodes, I think, yeah. and they're 22 yeah. minutes each, and this is eight episodes at roughly an hour. It's not actually that much different in time. Like, they had the time to just maybe be, you know, a little more selective about the adventures they choose to portray. Um, and I don't actually think, like, there's a, a number of plot lines that are squashed together in the middle act of this series. And I don't actually think squashing them together is that bad. Of, like, I think it's actually a pretty solid adaptational choice. It's just executed so poorly because it separates the characters too much. It, and it, again, it doesn't remember to show the characters learning and growing a at all or B together uh, in any of these adventures, um, which has always been the, one of the great strengths of the original show is them Mm -hmm. learning and growing together. Mm. And, uh, I don't know. The bending's cool, though. Like, the martial arts are, like, miles better. I mean, not that it would be hard. It's a pretty low bar for this to be the second best version of Avatar. But, um, like, at least in this time, when they're doing martial arts, like, the bending, like, the elements around them that they're bending are connected to the martial arts that they're doing. Which mm-hmm. is just a, a not a thing in the 2010 movie where they would just do martial arts and things would happen around them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like maybe this is a show that should have just stayed animated. You know, like I don't think it's hard to, to say because there's lots of shows that do magic and telekinesis and things like that and do them really extremely well. But this show was just never going to have the budget. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe we need to stop letting Netflix do this. Because this is a show that needed to have a huge budget. And it just clearly does not. So I, I partially agree with you. I don't think... Obviously the budget's the issue. And and having seen the last couple of episodes now, it's very clear that it was, it was backloaded. Because it needed to be... Um, so a lot of this I... I didn't work. Uh, I'm like you. I'm not going to pick apart the acting. Um, there's some absolutely mind-boggling acting line delivery in this, and I laid the blame purely at the director of the first two episodes, a guy called uh, what's his name? Michael Goy, and the overall showrunner, the overall writers for this as well for smashing it all together. The first two episodes are some of the worst directed TV episodes I think I've ever seen in terms of creativity, in terms of visual storytelling. I have never seen such a basic set of shots, angles, line delivery, editing outside of like student films. And, And Netflix is a big player, right? They are a big player now. They have a big budget for big things like this. This is a flagship show. And it, and my comments are going to be the same as when we watched Echo. It's not good enough. It's not good enough to settle mm-hmm. for that standard of these first two episodes. Luckily, each of the episodes uh, it goes in pairs, and each pair is directed by a different director. So um, as we go through Jabbar R- Raisani and Roseanne Liang and Jet Wilkinson, the visual storytelling doesn't just get better, it's night and day. Like, suddenly you have someone creatively telling a story. It doesn't just get better, it is present at all. Yeah. It, it, there, are some, there are more than one interesting shot. And honestly, I'm not, this isn't hyperbole. Go and watch the first two episodes, especially if you've done any filmmaking, or even if you haven't. It is the most basic bitch of directing that you could possibly imagine to the point where I was laughing out loud. There's a couple of meaningful moments where the shots change so they can stare out into the universe, into the audience, like it's some kind of K drama. 
it's awful, awful, awful direction. All the line reads, all these poor kids who, who we've seen some of these kids in other things where they've been good. And the line reads are like they are, they, it's like they can't wait to get through their words. And I blame, I, I blame the director fully for this because there is no line direction in this whatsoever. The shots are awful, the editing is crap, and the CG gets worse throughout the, the whole thing, but that's another thing. So, um, well, I'd say yeah, that I, like the the C, the CG gets, I would argue, gets better just because I will say that the last two episodes are actually good. Yeah. Um, the not great to be fair. They still have problems I've already talked about. But if in terms of like, um, in terms of like these episodes in pairs, the last two are the most successful pair. Mm-hmm. I actually and, don't think they're the strongest directed pair, but I think they are the most successful pair. Yeah. yeah. And. and yeah, I... in, in in terms of the visuals, right? Just there's so many films like like uh, like Hero and uh, the, the um, House of something. Oh, what's Flying Daggers. House of Flying Daggers, and of course Crouching Tiger. All these great works of movies that play with magical movement. Like what what else do you what else do you need apart from some CG of the elements and the actual specific choreography? If, if someone with some fight choreography vision had looked at that and thought, okay, that's a great template for these people that fight with elements, it's already there. Like, why? Oh, so it's crazy. This is where, I, this is where crazy. I come down to, like, maybe they don't have the budget because it is very backloaded and there's a lot of really great action in the last episodes um, that there just isn't in the middle episodes. Not really. Um, but this is a story that, like, as much as I'm going to say that, like, it is the character moments that are the most important, like, this is a moment, like, they should be bending all the time. They, they are doing martial arts all the time in this story. They should be, and they're just, they're not. They're just like, walking around like it's just a normal fantasy world. And I feel like they needed to have the budget or the intent to show these martial arts happening and, and in particular being learned throughout all eight episodes. Mm-hmm. And they just don't do any of that. And I feel like it's, I feel like it's just sort of that capitalist problem of trying to like get the important bits out of the story for as little, for as little amount of money as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why the original creators of Avatar left the production, but it's hard to imagine that's not at least part of it. Right. Yeah. Cause that, that's the thing. The show has been in production since at least 2018 and in 2020 or so. And they announced it with uh, Michael Dante Diamartino and Brian uh, Konizeko as being involved, which was amazing. Um, But they walked away in 2020 or maybe 2021. They walked away over creative differences. And it's hard to imagine that that wasn't at least part of it. And I don't know why, like, they didn't say explicitly. But <laughs> it's just, like, again, it's, uh, I talked, I, I, what I was trying to say earlier is that, like, there's a, there's a real focus on the plot elements. And this is a character, dri- it should be a character-driven show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that by the end, by the end of this story, um, Aang has to make some very important decisions and his character is what allows him to inf- to make those decisions in the way that he makes them and i'm speaking very vaguely because i don't want to spoil the end of the whole series for anyone who hasn't seen it but without that character development it's just not going to work in the same way that i will say that the last two episodes of this season are actually pretty good um but still don't really 100 percent work the way they should because we haven't spent the time with the characters that we Mm-hmm. and then that's even getting and like I don't again I don't think most of the adaptational changes like for example again there's a number of stories that are squashed together in the second act of this series uh, including some from season 2 and there's one from the end from season 1 that's at least one major one at the end of season 1 that should be technically speaking in those last two episodes that's omitted entirely um mm-hmm. And I don't think those are bad choices. I just think they're really terribly executed. 
um, oh. because they are missing the point of what made the show great. Yeah, I think that's a great summary of the whole thing. I think it's it's the 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 original creators leaving because of creative differences, and then seeing what we see. I think they have missed so much of the point of why it existed in the first place, and its overall tone as well is far more graphic and adult than it needs to be. But it like the little character development moments have gone to and uh it's a shame it's a real shame because it's the original is an amazing piece of storytelling and there's a lot of potential there to bring it into live action and again maybe it shouldn't have been netflix who did it because this is not the first time we've had this discussion about netflix and their adaptations so no and i doubt it'll be the last I mean, I'm on the fence of whether I want them to even... Con- I, I'm I'm pretty confident at this point. The response to the show, I wouldn't say that we are in the minority uh, exactly. But what I will say is that even the people who are saying it's that they liked it are saying it was fine. Like, mm-hmm. they're not saying it was great. They're saying, yeah, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reasonably confident in guessing that it's going to get a second season. Mm-hmm. And I just hope they step it up. You know? Like, I hope they... I hope that they, I don't know whether I want to say that Albert Kim should be fired or that they should just, uh, or that he refocuses what the show should, but he listens to some of the feedback and refocuses on what's supposed to be important. But um, this is the kind of show that like it needed the Apple or HBO treatment, not the, not the Netflix treatment. And it's, it bothers me that those are even like distinct tiers that I can say and people will understand what I mean. Um, yeah, totally. No, you're totally right. Just but needed uh, care. Needed it needed care yeah. and understanding. Yeah, needed more care, more understanding, more empathy, more everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and that's even before we talk about like <laughs> we haven't even touched on the fact that like they've clearly spent a ton of money, but also the it doesn't they've struck trying to again trying to strike this tone of being a little more grounded, a little more serious, a little more adult. But everyone looks like they're in, like, admittedly top tier, but still, you know, fan expo cosplay. You know, like it's all of the costumes are a little bit too perfect. Like, yeah. it doesn't look like a lived in world because they yeah, all look, true. they look so pristine and so precise. Nobody, nobody looks like they've ever torn a shirt or spilled anything on her shirt. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, although I will, same. I will say that, like, I don't want to focus on any of the kids, but I will say that Daniel Day Kim seems to be having the time of his life as Fire Lord Ozai, <laughs> and I do appreciate that. Yeah. I feel the same way about the um, the visuals. But the, the I don't know what's happened with CG visuals. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago for something, didn't we? Like the it, there's no depth to it. Maybe there's no like distance to it or depth. It doesn't feel real, and it's not even cartoony. It's not even stylized. It just feels, yet again, just like lowest common denominator CG backgrounds with CG effects that don't have any weight in the world and has not been given any kind of attention to detail either. Well, actually, so it's interesting because I will say that, like, when there is bending on screen, I would say that that part of it is actually generally very well handled. Mm-hmm. Um but where the visuals fall down for me are in things like costume design and set design and background design. And uh, I don't, it just doesn't really work. It's very upsetting. I think there's a, I think there's a scene that's pretty emblematic of the whole thing where, so (laughs) there's a fight in an earth nation city and Zuko, who's a firebender sets a cart of cabbages on fire. And the guy who owns the cart of cabbages does a really dramatic, like, build up to yelling to the sky about his cabbages being on fire. And it's treated as this really, like, dramatic and important moment. And it's a callback to the original. There's a cabbage vendor in the original, and his cabbages are always getting destroyed. But this treats it as though, this treats that moment in this show as though it's the, like, most important thing that could possibly have happened in that moment. Mm -hmm. And there's... It, that even that is not earned, and that is mm-hmm. just super upsetting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the cabbages look fucking fake, so <laughs> who cares? Yeah. Like, like 
this... for as much as the for as much as the bending looks pretty good, mm. most of the rest of it looks pretty cheap. And again, I would say that it is the it is backloaded, so the CG in the big finale is actually pretty great. Mm. But that still doesn't get past the fact that the world doesn't look like a real one that people exist in. It really and you can and, I, and you can get away with that. You can get away with that in animation, but it's you can't really get away with that when there's real people on set. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, anyway, are, are we starring this? How many stars are you giving the Netflix Avatar: The Last Airbender? Two. Yeah, it's two from me as well. I uh, on, I, I wrote a review of it for Exclaim. I ended up giving it five out of ten there, and I think that's a pretty good translation to two out of mm. five here. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the more, I, and honestly, it's been over a week since I saw it and over almost a week since I wrote that. And the more I think about it and the more I talk to other people who've seen it now, because this is now streaming. It came out on the 22nd today that we're recording is the 25th. And so lots of people have seen it. And, um, the more I think about it, the more, the more just, just disappointed I am. Mm. You know, I'm not angry about it as I might've been say, five or ten years ago but it's just so frustrating to see mm. something that i something that not just that i like but that has so much potential just mm. sort of squandered to be to be produced as inexpensively as possible despite having been in production for so long mm. you know like it seems like there's a disconnect there between the pre-production and production phases and what we get on screen it's not it doesn't it feels like it was made in a month which is obviously hyperbole, but it feels like it was made in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And I don't quite understand how that's possible given how not great it is. Yeah, that's a good summary. I agree. What a shame. Yeah. I just, just hope they don't. I love, I, I adore Legend of Korra. Uh, I adore how it's shifted to this like industrialist background with all the magical stuff going on. And I really hope they don't get their hands on it or even try to make if this is the standard that they're doing i just i don't want them to make any more on on the upside we are apparently getting from avatar studios they did there's a studio formed around this franchise to make more stuff and we are apparently in fall of next year so fall 2025 Mm -hmm. we are getting a feature-length animated movie about ang and his friends set while they're young while they're adults which Mm -hmm. i think has a lot of potential as an idea um, yeah, so we are getting new good Avatar stuff coming, and there's a lot of great comic books as well, um, which I need to read more of to be totally fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is not it. This is <sighs> not it. Anyway, that's anyway, the hour. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, watch any anyone but you. <laughs> go do that. Yeah, go watch anyone but you, and go watch you know. Uh, as of this recording, you have like six six days left to see Tenet in the IMAX theater if you're yes, regionally dude. showing it. And that's yeah. as a person who doesn't like that movie especially much, um, I did that yesterday and it's totally worthwhile. And you can hear more about it if you listen to our bonus show, which you can get access to <laughs> by subscribing to our Patreon. How's well, that for ad copy? Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, like we're gonna wrap up the show there. So it's, good, it's as good a point as any to point out that if you've liked the show, if you've liked us talking. Um, you can get more of it um, by subscribing to our Patreon. It is as little as $2.88 a month, and you get a whole bonus show. This week's was about Tenet and Christopher Nolan and Vibe movies, and uh, I thought it was an interesting conversation, and a little more free for um, We also have a Kofi. Those are both going to be linked in the show notes. Uh, if you'd like to follow us, uh, if you'd like to help us a little more indirectly, uh, you can always you know, smash that like button uh crash crash down on that subscribe button tell your friends help us get in front of more earballs uh so we can keep bringing you the show that we enjoy doing so much yes um if you'd like to follow us the there's a couple different ways you can do that uh the show is on social medias at awesome friday ca and i am on social medias at matthew af and simon is not on social media so you can also follow us at our Homepages, it's awesomefriday.ca for the show. It is temporarypen.com for Simon, and it is stretched.ca for me. And you can find all of our recent writings and content. If you want to read my review of Avatar The Last Airbender, I'll link it in the show notes, but it's also on my website. Uh, along with everything else I've written or podcasted lately. Uh, 
which has actually been a lot. So I'd appreciate it if you went and checked that out. Um, last but not least, we are here in Vancouver, Canada, on the unceded ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed us, and we hope you join us again on another awesome Friday. Thanks, bye.